Today we're reading out of Acts, chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord to us. You can be seated. I don't know about you, uh, but this, this Holy Spirit series has been very impactful for myself and for Christy and I and our family, and I, and I think for our church body. In fact, of all the series that we've done so far as a church body, I don't know, I think we may look back on say, you know, when we went through that Holy Spirit series, God really began a work there, and, and I think it started the massive change in our church life. I hope so. This morning, um, the passage that Glenn read out of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, um, is, is a commonly referenced passage about what, what does it look like for us to be a church. And, and studying this text, I would have to say um, it is one of the most exciting texts in all of Scripture, and at the same time, one of the most equally terrifying texts in all of Scripture. Because as we look at this and dive into this this morning, I think we're going to really understand the need, the extreme need that we have for the Holy Spirit in order for us to live this out well. So if you'll just join with me in prayer and asking for the Holy Spirit to just powerfully be with us this morning. Father God, we come before you this morning as your body of believers. We ask that the Holy Spirit would powerfully fill our hearts. That we might truly wrestle with this passage of scripture in the very core of our being and what it looks like for us to live this out together. Thank you for the incredible example of the early church the call to the other churches and the Holy Spirit. It's power for us to live this out today. Don't let us leave here unchanged, please, God. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we really, really want you to to have a Bible this morning and reading along with us. If not just for the validation that the, the Word of God actually says what we're going to dive into today. <laughs> um, because some of you are going like, to think, oh, Scott, you're making that up, okay? But no, it, it, it's really there, okay? So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. And this is the second week where we're looking at this, this idea of the Spirit-filled church. And before we move on, we're going to repeat what we said last week, and I think it's an extreme and very, very important for us to understand 
And, and it is something that we have been grained with since we were kids. We've grown up with this idea, this understanding that church is an event. Church is from a certain time to a certain time. Church is a place, but rather it's not what scripture tells us what church is. And, and, and I would ask us to reclaim this beautiful word, church. Reclaim it, take it back. It, it belongs to us and it belongs within this beautiful context of that we are the church, the people of God, saved by the power of God for the purpose of God. That's the church. Let's reclaim that language for ourselves. Let's not use the church in such a limiting manner as to describe an event or a place, but rather let's use that language to correctly describe the people of God. This morning, the church was gathered all, or this last week, the church was gathered all over the place and in several different times in several different ways and in several different capacities. The church was out in this community serving other people, being with those in need, loving, caring, being present in hospitals, being present in circles for prayer meetings, being present in circles learning about God's word, being present in circles of fellowship. God's church was continually gathering throughout this last week. Praise God. That's exciting that it's not just limited to this, this, this one time during the week, but rather it is something that is whenever two or more gathered together in my name, I will be there, says God. Praise God. So we need to reclaim that language, and I would challenge us to continue to do so. Last week, we looked at, and we need to briefly revisit this, the fact that in order for us to rightly understand ourselves as the church, we need to come together, we need to understand that we're an ignorant, unintelligent, and unimpressive people. Now, I guarantee you, if somebody walks up to you in your business place and says to you, you're an ignorant, unimpressive, not very powerful person, you're gonna go, you're gonna, you know, what, what are you talking about, right? And get a little angry, get a little upset. But this is what Paul says to the Corinthian church. You're an unimpressive and unintelligent, not very powerful group of people. But it's okay. In fact, it's not until we can come to terms with that that we get to truly be redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ comes to take us from an unintelligent to become very intelligent and understanding of who he is. The greatest intelligence you can ever possess is growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the greatest knowledge, the greatest understanding we can ever have. And the most, we can go from an unimpressive people, which, you know, I joked last week, I'm not a very impressive guy. I always grew up with the weird kids. I was fat, overweight, acne kid, lineman, football player, and AP classes. I don't think I fit into anything, right? Brothers and sisters, that's the way we are spiritually. We come to God completely unimpressive. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, we are given this incredible place of power and position in the very family of God. We go from being spiritually nobodies to children of the almighty God. Treasured, valued. We talked last week that we have been given this absurd message 
this, this really weird message. This, this message that completely strips us of any power. It removes all power from us and it places all power to God. And the message is that, that God Almighty so loved his creation, the thing that he made, that he sent his son, his one and only son, to become God-man and to live upon the earth and be subjected to man, to be subjected to his creation and then be abused by them, be tormented by them and go to the cross and die for the creation and rise again on the third day. And then ascends into heaven and seats at the right hand of God the Father in heaven where he continues to intercede on behalf of his creation so that we truly can have our hearts and lives secured in him. And what's so absurd about this message is we can do nothing to earn it. It's not based upon our merit. It's not based upon who we are. It's solely because God is gracious and good and loving and kind. And it's so hard for the world to get because the world is being taught from knee-high to a grasshopper, you get what you earn. Brothers and sisters, Scripture clearly tells us that if we were to get what we earn, it would be hell and damnation for eternity, but by the grace of God. That's, this is great. So, right, we start off as an unimpressive, unintelligent, not very powerful people. We get redeemed by Jesus Christ to become his bride, his church, to bring this absurd message that is hard for the world to understand. And brothers and sisters, it's hard for us to grasp. Because how many times this last week, I know I did this, I tried to earn it somehow. I tried to earn salvation somehow. I tried to earn right relationship with God somehow. I tried to make it legalistic versus grace this last week. And we do this. We still struggle with owning this message of grace. God redeems us to take this absurd message into this world and into each other's lives and hearts. So you may be asking a great question this morning, and I'm so glad you're asking this question is, what does it look like for us to be a spirit-filled, supernatural church? Great question, glad you asked. Let's dive into this together, okay. In Acts chapter two, hopefully you're turned there right now. If you go to the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the fifth book of the New Testament is the book of Acts. And Acts is the history of the church. It is the beginning start, the beginning stages of what takes place within the church. We see here that in the beginning stages, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves, okay? So the early church has taken off and started growing. This is after Peter has stood up on the day of Pentecost and he has issued one of the greatest sermons of all time. The Holy Spirit has descended upon the apostles and they're going about preaching and teaching now. And that's, that's one of the greatest things that we need to understand about this, that what kicks things off 
that what causes the apostles to be sent was the giving of the Holy Spirit to them. When they received the Holy Spirit, they understood one thing. Go tell the gospel. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, man, I can't wait to hear a good message on what the Holy Spirit, Spirit-filled church is and does. The Spirit-filled church sends its people into its community with the gospel message. That's the, look what happens right out of the gate. Peter, the apostles receive the Holy Spirit and Peter starts proclaiming the gospel message of Jesus Christ and people believe in large numbers and this is what they were doing when they gathered together. But before we dive into that, I want to give you a brief history lesson and a, and a little lesson on, on what it looked like for the early church to gather. We have a very Americanized, what are we into the 22nd century now? 21st century, 21st century, not quite the 22nd, 21st century of understanding what the church is. And so for us to kind of understand what is taking place within this passage, we kind of have to do a little uh, back, going back in time for us to understand what this looked like. The main place for people to gather would have been the temple for worship, okay? Now, the temple was a place for primarily Jew, for Jewish people. There was the court of Gentiles where they could go, but for the inner places of the temple was for Jews only. And so the temple was not a great place for the whole church to gather together and worship Jesus Christ because who was leading the temple? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Who wanted to see Jesus crucified? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay? Now, while they did go to the temple, they did go and they did go and pray, the primary meeting place for these people would have been their homes. Now, we have large, extremely massive homes compared to what they would have had back during that day. To have homes back in those days, I mean, some of you have apartments, you're like, well, I've only got like, uh, you know, 600, 700, 800 square foot apartment. That would have been large compared to what they would have had. A lot of them would have been one-roomed homes where they would have done the cooking, the cleaning, the eating, and the sleeping all in the same place. It's interesting you mentioned Nigeria today because Christy and I got to go to Nigeria um, back in 2006, right? Date, right? Yeah, 2006. And we got to travel around. Um, I got to do a couple chapel services. I got to do a chapel service at a seminary. I got to do a biblical theology conference up in Kano. Extremely humbling. At the seminary in Kagarko, these folks left their villages to come and travel to get taught up and educated in the word of God. And they lived in one room mud huts so that they could study the word of God. There were no doors, there were no windows. They ate, they slept in this tiny 10 by 10 room. And I was so humbled. They went and studied and they wrote everything down. There was no computers. There was a library maybe of 200 books and they were thrilled to be there. We went up to Gagarko, or excuse me, to Kano in northern Nigeria 
And I did a three-hour conference on biblical theology. This young third-year seminary student going to come teach these men who are seasoned in the pastorate, who some walked for over a day to attend. Absolutely humbling. And so that's the kind of mindset that I want us to understand and put within our minds of what early church life was like. They gathered in very small settings and very humble settings. So these large people, this large group of people who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ are scattered throughout Jerusalem in small settings living this way. So we see here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers in awe. I love that. Came over every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed together, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. The first thing I want to point out to you together that the supernatural church does that the church that worships God, they worship God in all of life by studying together. They opened the word of God together. When was the last time that you got out of a row and got into a circle and studied the word of God with somebody? opened up the word of God and struggled through a text together and studied and dived into the, dived into the word of God and not just, for, not just for knowledge, but so that your heart might be changed. You see, if we're opening the word of God to get a fat head, we're missing the point of scripture. God gives us this so that we may have all of our lives changed by the word of God. That we might change how we I talk about this all the time. Go to the grocery store, the way we drive, the, the, way we, the way we think, the way we treat our spouse, the way we treat our friends, the way we treat our neighbors. You see, all of life should be transformed by the Bible. When was the last time that you got in a circle and you said, I want the word of God to transform my life? And let's dive into the word of God together so that we can do this in a way that it does that. You see, the supernatural church, the church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, yearns and desires to study the word of God together. To get into small circles and open up the word of God. Because there's not much conversation going on here, is there? No, there isn't. I'm hoping for someday in the near future that we might actually be able to, as soon as the service is over, maybe have a time where there's a dialogue about clearing up some of the things that I say or misspeak some things and, and have a dialogue, but we're, we're not there yet because of time constraints and the rental of this space and all those wonderful things. Brothers and sisters, in a couple weeks, we're going to go through our essentials series, our essentials identities we gather, we go, we give, and we grow. And we're going to spend time four weeks going through those together to remind each other of what we should be doing as a body of believers. And those four things are grown right out of this passage of Scripture. 
You see, they gathered together so that they might grow together as they study God's word together. The next thing that we see that the church did is that they fellowshiped together. Now, many of your texts might see here that and they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and, and the fellowship. Now, now, if you write in your Bible, and I believe it's okay to write in your Bible, I would like for you to do me a favor and line through the word fellowship. Line through it. Because that word in the Greek language has so much more depth and meaning than a mere potluck. <laughs> it has so much more depth and meaning than a Sunday morning gathering. This word is, is, is the word, and you may have heard of it, this word is koinonia. Greek lexicon describes this word as a word that is infused with community, reliance, and dependence. Who in this church family are you reliant and dependent on, or could you walk away from here tomorrow and say, I'm good? Because for us to have fellowship together, true community together, creates this dependence and this reliance. Paul talks about this kind of dependence and reliance when he references about the gifts of the church body. That we're so in need of each other as we have different parts. Somebody in this church is an arm, somebody's a hand, somebody's an ear, somebody's an eye. That I can't even spiritually feed myself correctly without you. Think about that for a second. We live in a society, a day and age, where we're so individualized. And we're so separated from one another. But what Paul is painting, what, 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 excuse me, Luke is painting here in this text is a body of believers that are absolutely dependent on one another, that rely on one another, that are strengthened by one another. Because that's what true fellowship looks like. Man, you're going, now I understand why you said terrifying. Because for us, to truly live this out, it requires commitment to one another. Next, we see that in order to worship to God and all of life together, we have to pray together. We were proposing a constitutional change and I made a commitment to this church body that if we, during this process, there were individuals that were very concerned and unable to approve the constitutional amendment, we'd stop the amendment and we'd not bring it to a vote. And we've had that take place. So we're not going to bring it to a vote. And so what we've done is we've invited all the inactive elders back onto the active elder board. And so I sent out that email this last week asking the inactive elders to come back on. And Tom Dunbar, hopefully, he's, he's not here, he can't even, <laughs> got you, Tom. He said, you know, I'm okay with that, but I'm only okay with that is if we become a body that is more committed to prayer. 
And if I can come back on the active elder board and help us focus on being more of a body of prayer, that's why I'd want to come back on. Praise God. But praying together, brothers and sisters, is more than just once a week at a prayer meeting. When we gather together with other believers, whether it's for, for just a dinner or whether it's just to, to hang out for a minute, how, do we just stop to pray? Maybe not even for, for one another. Maybe you're just like, hey, you know what? Let's just get together real prayer and let's just pray for our community. Let's just pray for our missionaries. Let's just pray for, for what God is doing with our youth in this community with Young Life through, through our deacon and deaconess, John and Clarissa Steiner. Let, let's just stop and pray. Let's just, hey, we're Christians and we're gathered together because hopefully prayer is not just a one time or one event during the week, but it's this perpetual thing that when, the, when Livingstone Church runs into each other, prayer's being done. Amen. That we become such a def- people defined by prayer. Because I know that all the great movements of the church were preceded by prayer. And that if we truly want to see this community invaded by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is absolutely mandatory and necessary necessary that prayer precedes it. And brothers and sisters, that's you and I. Prayer is part of our individual time with God. Prayer is a regular part of what other gatherings we're having throughout the week. Prayer is a regular part of our Sunday mornings. And I don't know if you feel that or sense that, but just lately since, I don't know, Glenn, if you're doing this intentionally or not, but Sunday mornings are feeling a lot more like a conversation with God. Isn't that cool? When Glenn's up here leading us, it just feels like we're having a conversation with God. We're talking to God about through, through music. We're talking to God as we're, we're in prayer. We're talking to God as we, we read the doctrines of the early church and what we believe about him. Brothers and sisters, one of the greatest things that we could ever do with our Sunday morning gatherings is make it feel like it's a continual perpetual conversation to God. Prayer has to be, and there's a, how many of y'all have smartphones? It's not a bad thing. I'm not gonna beat you down for having a smartphone, okay? That's not a sucker punch, okay? There's a great little app called Ransomed Heart. And in that app are some phenomenal prayers. My brother introduced me to it. He was struggling with some of his kids and somebody else introduced it to him. There's prayers for fathers. There's prayers for mothers. There's prayers for struggling for those who are in addiction. There's, there's prayers for youth. There's prayers for heads. I mean, there's a lot of different prayers on there. And everyone that I've seen so far have been so just wonderful and spot on. And sometimes you don't know what to pray. And sometimes you want to draw near to God, but you don't know what to say. And so to have something like that where you can pick it up and just read through a prayer and genuinely mean the words, it's nothing, you don't lose spiritual like PowerPoints for reading somebody else's prayers. Okay? But sometimes it's really valuable to have something like that. So maybe you need to go out and get a a book of prayers. But it's really a great opportunity for you to understand that we are a people of prayer and let that be defining our times together. That as we pray together, we grow. We grow in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We also see that a church that worships God in all of life 
spends time together. <laughs> they were getting together on a daily basis and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Oh my goodness. They were having people over for meals. They were sharing what they had meal-wise. And folks, these are not necessarily wealthy individuals. These are run-of-the-mill people sharing what they had with other people, giving of what they had. Listen, if we want to be a church that grows in Jesus Christ together, we got to spend some time together. We got to be committed together. I did a, I did a mean and naughty thing a couple weeks ago. Now I go, no, we had people go on vacation. It's the summertime. But we had an opportunity. We couldn't meet here. So I said, let's, let's meet in homes. Let's invite people into our homes and let's get people into our homes and let's gather together. Brothers and sisters of our church membership, we were well below 50% that gathered together on that Sunday morning. The spirit-filled church loves to spend time together. And I know, we talk about wanting to see this church grow numerically. I'm telling you what, we won't see this church grow numerically if we don't first see this church grow spiritually in our need for one another and to spend time together and to love one another and to care for each other's needs. And nor should we grow numerically if we can't do that. Because guess what? The new people will come in and all those senses, well, they don't really have love for me, room for me. And the desire to care for me. This is a hard message to hear this morning. But I believe this is the message that, that when we take this and we own this in our hearts, that radical things are going to happen within this church body. And we'll go from being an institution to an alive organism. Something that's alive. And something that's well and that's healthy and that cares for each other. Provides for each other. I hope you don't view this as a negative thing, but rather an opportunity for us to grow in what God has for us. Notice something else here. Verse 46, and day by day, or excuse me, verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We were meeting together as a teaching team this week, a preaching team, that uh, a really important point was made is that we are in an industrial society now, and this message was taking place in an agrarian society. I want you to think about what it, I'm a farm boy from Nebraska, so I get this. And maybe some of you come from a farming background. If you take a field and you sell a field in an agrarian society, you don't lose income for that year. You lose income for years to come because you can't plant that field anymore. You can't harvest that field anymore. So for them to sell fields and to give of those things to others as they had needs meant that they were denying income for years to come. This is what it would meant for them to be family. 
that whatever they had, whatever they had, was, was, was for the good of the body. And it was, it was up for grabs. Francis Chan, in, in, in writing the book, Forgotten God, mentions that God had gotten a hold of his heart in the reality of this message. And he brings his keys, his deeds to his home, and his titles to his cars into an elder meeting. And he puts it all on the table and he says, what, what is mine is yours. Do you need something? Whoa. You see, maybe we we're fine in this sermon. Maybe it was a little uncomfortable in this sermon. But now up to this point, it seems it got, it's now impossible. Well, Scott, this is, this is one of those cultural and context issues, okay? <laughs> they were able to do that back in then because, no. And I'm going to show you in a minute while that's not the case. What do you have that is yours? What do you have that you have maybe even this week said, that's, that's mine? And maybe in your heart said was off limits to God. You know, what's amazing to me is the story of the rich young ruler. It's this story where this man who has been righteous, I believe he was righteous. I believe he was a person that, that, that obeyed and walked and talked and he forgave people. And he, he was... He, he was an individual that we would have looked to and said, I want to pattern my life after him. But Jesus hits, the, hits that point for him when he says, I want you to go home, sell everything you have, and give it to the poor. And guess what the root thing that that rich young ruler said? Oh, crud, that's mine, not yours. And you can't have that. In our great time together, we're in, a, we're in the middle of doing connect groups right now, and we've got another connect group that we're training up right now, five families involved in that, super exciting. That's our bridge that goes from like coming into the church, going to pastor's coffee, connect group, and then going into a life group. Um, we were talking within that time, and, and, and I'm gonna share a little bit. Mort, Mort said something that was really beautiful. You know, in today's society, maybe giving of our treasures, our money is a little bit easier because today I think what's more valuable is our time and our talents. And you know somebody really cares about you if they give up their time and their talent. Because maybe writing a check is easy, but the harder thing to do is to be present. And then I had to confess that I was supposed to spend time getting the wood over his place and I was supposed to have been there like two months ago. All right. Brothers and sisters, a church that works with God in all of life, that is a supernatural church, is a church that spends time together. Notice this final thing here. Verse 4 is he seven, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If we are living this way with each other and the community that we live in. It will alter and it will change the community that we live in. I guarantee it. 
Now, I understand that God was doing a supernatural thing during this time, and the amount of people that were responding to the gospel at the beginning of the church was, a, was an amazing, exciting time. Maybe you call me naive, but I believe things can get exciting once again. I believe God can do an amazing, life-changing, powerful event in this valley, in this community in which we live. The question that, that seems to stand before us is, is God big enough? Is the Holy Spirit truly indwelling the people of the church? Because if the answer is the presence of God is with him, if, is if the Holy Spirit who, guess what, helped the God become God-man, who helped Jesus get up and walk out of the grave. And that Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit, indwells us. Do we believe it? Is the way we conduct our lives look like it? God is calling us to something so big, you and I can't even fathom it right now. And it's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our ability to understand. And it's terrifying. But it's glorious. And it's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. Because guess what? We're a bunch of sinners. And we're going to sin against each other. And we're going to need God's grace. But brothers and sisters, God is calling us to something more than a Sunday event. Than a Wednesday prayer meeting. He is calling us to something so much more. He's calling us into relationships where we expose our hearts and our lives fully to one another. Do you know why? I'm not poor Mark Anderson's here, but, but do you know why Young Life exists? The church failed to do its job. I firmly believe that if the church was about reaching this community and the kids in this community, we wouldn't need young life. I believe a lot of the parachurch organizations that exist out there is because the church started becoming more worried about a Sunday gathering and this event and this event instead of saying, you know what? God has called me to be a part of this community and youth are part of my community. And I want them in my homes. I want them part of our times of gathering together. I want to, if I see a youth that's in struggling and need, I'm going to go love on them and care for them. But we've said that's somebody else's job. Brothers and sisters, do you have neighbors? Do your neighbors have kids? Do you believe God puts you in the neighborhood that he puts you in? For a reason or purpose? Do you know the names of those kids? Have they been in your house? And, I, and that's not just the kids, it's the adults as well. God put us in this valley for a reason to reach the people we're supposed to reach. And it's hard, and it's messy, and it's difficult. But he also gave us one another to care for one another and to be encouraged by one another. And most importantly, he's given us the Holy Spirit. And I'm going long and I apologize. But I believe that this message needs to be heard. And so guess what? Until the, until the time that churches rise up together, start doing what they're doing, we, we need to keep supporting Young Life, and we will as a church body. We'll keep supporting 
David. Until the church understands. Because what, you know what's beautiful about what David's doing? What David's doing is teaching, man, this is your responsibility. It's not just enough to share the gospel, but it's also your responsibility to disciple them in the journey to draw closer to God. He's just teaching what it is to be Christians. These are timeless principles, and I'm going to rapid fire these at you. You can go back and look at them. If you think that this passage of scripture was just something that was happening at just at this time around, you know, AD, early 40s, or excuse me, late, late 30s, early 40s that was taking place in Jerusalem, I'm going to challenge you that as you look at all the churches that were written to by Paul, all of them had this expectation to live this way. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count one another more significant than yourselves. If you go on in that text, you know why be to model after Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, 28, let the thief no longer steal. Guess what? They had thieves amongst their midst in the church. That's uncomfortable. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that we, he may have something to share with anyone in need. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one. For in eating, each one goes ahead of his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. Talking about in the Corinthian church, they weren't even approaching the time together in the Lord's Supper. The people were abusing this time. And he said, wait a minute. This is an opportunity to serve one another, to be a part of one another together in these elements. Romans 14, 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and the mutual upbuilding. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians, Colossians 3, 12 and 13, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient by them, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And if you think that, well, maybe that's not the case, go to the churches in Revelation and the seven churches in Revelation, the charges that were issued against them. They weren't living as God had called them to live. And they'd lost their love for God, some of them, and it was reflected in how they were treating one another. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do that. The Holy Spirit unites the church. The Holy Spirit reveals the message and enables us to live it and speak it. The Holy Spirit illumines our study. The Holy Spirit reveals to barriers to our fellowship, to our community, to our dependence on one another. The Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. The Holy Spirit makes our time together beneficial. The Holy Spirit opens my heart to share what I have. The Holy Spirit sends us to go together into this community that Shirland Valley may be radically altered because Livingstone Church has come to the realization that we're a spirit-filled, God-sent, supernatural body of believers. Can I get an amen? And this isn't easy. But when we begin to realize this, we begin to treasure this, radical things will happen.
Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this incredible time that we get to spend together in this brief moments every week to just hear from you, Lord God, hopefully, and, and then be in conversation with you because that's what a conversation is, right? Lord, we, we're supposed to talk to you and we're supposed to sing our praises to you and we're supposed to pray to you, but then we're supposed to listen. And Father, I pray your spirit would powerfully speak. Challenge us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.